The title of our message today is Be Ready. Be Ready. You, if you stick with your Bible reading plan, you will be ready. Ken, what is going on on the third row, Ken? So, does anybody notice anything different about me? Oh, you. No, what's that? Clark Gable. No, nobody in the room even knows who Clark Gable is. <laughs> Some of you do. <laughs> so it's been called a what? It's been called a lunchbox. It's been called. I've been called a um, walrus. Um, what are some of the other cookie, uh, cookie duster? I'd never heard of the cookie duster till today. So, but that's not what I'm talking about. That's not what's new about me. That's not even close. So, what else do you think? Not my shoes. Not. So, not my haircut. I need a haircut. Thanks for pointing that out very much. But no, I got hearing aids. Yeah, you can't see them, but I got hearing aids. And so they say that I've lost 10 years by shaving off my beard part of my facial hair. So I needed to do that because if you've got a beard and glasses and hearing aids, it's just not, it's not helpful. Not in my world. I'm still a young man, right? I'm still in my 40s. So when... Um, Wait False teeth. All right. I'm not what? I'm not in my 40s? False teacher. <laughs> no, I'll be 55 on my next birthday. So, yeah, double nickel. So crazy. I remember when Gary Tucker turned 55, like 30, 30 years. Just K, J, JK. Yeah, I'm only 73. Good, good, good. We should pray. And then we'll read our passage, and then we will pray again. How's that sound? All right, Lord, <laughs> we just pray that you'd focus us. And uh, Lord, man, we want to be ready for the stuff that we're talking about today. And as we get into Revelation chapter 4, God, we're so excited about what you will teach us. We're so excited about how you will open our minds and our hearts to your word. And so, Lord God, we make ourselves ready in Jesus' name. God, we make ourselves ready to hear, to listen, and to respond. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be in your kingdom, to be a part of what you are doing in the earth, and to be a part of what you want to do in the earth, Lord God. Fill us with that focus, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand for the reading of the word. Revelation chapter 4. Now, this is the deal. We're only getting through one verse of Revelation chapter four today. So one verse in Revelation chapter four, but a bunch of other verses throughout. So we will get to the balance of Revelation chapter four. So people are like, we're gonna be learning about the, the, you know, the throne of God, the throne, I'm, yeah, next week. Next week, it's gonna be good. So Revelation chapter four, verse one. After this, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. And so Lord, as we ready our hearts, God, teach us this morning. 
God, we want to put out of our minds any distractions and hindrances. We want to turn off our cell phones, at least the volume. And uh, Lord, we want to be present with you. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> you may be seated. Revelation 4, 1. After this, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. Door symbolism is common in scripture. In John 10, speaking of the good shepherd, Jesus declares, I am the door of the sheep, John 10, 7. He didn't say, I am a door. He said, I am the door. I am the way. I am the way to heaven. Jesus said, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved, John 10, 9. And so Jesus is not only the good shepherd who leads us into a sheepfold and cares for us there, but he is the only door, the only way that we may enter and be saved. Jesus is the only means we have of receiving eternal life. There is no other way. And in Luke 13, 22 through 30, Jesus made some clear statements this is what Jesus said. He went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer, he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets, but he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. What Jesus is saying, he is saying that close proximity to him does not equal salvation. These people were in close proximity to Jesus. He taught in their streets. So Jesus was in close proximity to them as he taught and as he did his miracles. They saw him firsthand. And so that close affiliation or proximity to him gave them some confidence that wasn't theirs to have. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. And so we see this door imagery throughout the New Testament, mostly through the New Testament in regards to salvation. Jesus is making it very clear that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through him. And so when we talk about being ready, we're talking about being ready with the right information processing life and information through that filter that says, I must 
be ready because I know the one who is salvation and his name is Jesus. And others need to know Jesus. He is the only way to heaven. Jeremy talked about Jesus standing at the door of our lives last week in Revelation 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. So Jesus is the door through which we gain eternal life. And you have a door to your life. You have a door to your life that Jesus knocks at so that you might open and welcome him in. And listen, the door can only be opened from the inside. Maybe you've seen artist's rendering of this passage of scripture. And in most artist's rendering, whether it be a sketch or a painting, there is no doorknob on the outside of the door, on the part of the door that Jesus is knocking on, because the door must be opened by your free will and by your desire. You are the one who must open the door to Jesus into your life. The door can only be opened from the inside by you. This can be applied to salvation, Jesus standing at the door of your life, waiting for an open door of invitation. But in the context of Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, um, this verse is actually written to a church, written to the church of Laodicea, this church that is located in a wealthy, independent city, as Jeremy talked about last week, has taken on the attitude of this city, and in doing so, have become independent, as it were, from God. And so with that understanding, with that picture, imagine Jesus standing on the outside of the door and the church is just simply the people of God. It's not a building. So when God is talking about the church, he's talking about individuals and he's talking about corporately the gathering of believers, but also individuals. So this church that is located in this wealthy independent city had taken on the attitude of the city and in, do, do, in, in so doing became independent as it were from God. It appears that in the day-to-day -day of this church, these people left Jesus out. And so it's possible to do what we do at Harvest Church or at any church for that matter, it's possible to do what we do to sing and to pray and to do Bible studies. It's actually possible to do all of those things and leave God on the outside. Just going through the motions, doing things that look right, but they are not spirit-led and led by God. They don't include the leadership and the lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Jesus was on the outside of this church. So Jesus uses this picture. Behold, I stand at the door, outside the door, knocking, wanting to come into his rightful place. If you call yourself a believer, a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, then you know from scriptures that you have been bought with a price. You no longer belong to yourself, but you belong to God. You have given the 
leadership and the lordship of your life to Jesus. And we don't have the right to take the leadership and the lordship of our lives back from Jesus. So Jesus, as he stands at the door knocking, he is simply wanting to be back in his rightful place, the place of authority and leadership in your life and in my life. And so Jesus humbly stands outside knocking. Will we let him in? Will you let him in? As we continue to move forward as a church, is Jesus, is, is Jesus welcome? Is his leadership needed and longed for and hoped for? Do we need him desperately to lead us day to day throughout the course of our life as a church? In our personal lives, is Jesus welcome? Is Jesus on the outside of your life knocking at the heart of the door of your heart, wanting to come in to take his rightful place? Or have you opened up your life to him in every area and arena and relationship, making him the Lord of your life? Will you let him in? Back to Revelation 4.1. Revelation 4.1. After this, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven and the first voice, which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. In the beginning of Revelation, uh, in Revelation 1.10, John said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. Now, being in the Spirit on the Lord's day, John was ready to receive what the Lord had for him. I would say that all of us, 24-7 can be in the spirit. We can be ready and responsive and receptive to what God would have us to do. There's a difference between being in the spirit and in the flesh. When I'm in the flesh, I want what my flesh wants. I want what satisfies my flesh. But when I'm in the spirit, I want what satisfies and pleases God. And so it's an effort for us to get there because we <laughs> slip into that place of the flesh pretty easily but just as easily we can decide that we wanna be in the spirit where we want God to be in charge of our lives, ready to do what God has called us to do. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. When we are in the spirit, we have ears to hear what God is saying. When we're in the spirit, we have eyes to see what God is doing. When we're in the spirit, we can perceive the move of God in our lives and respond accordingly, but we must be in the spirit. This trumpet is a sign of the rapture of the church. It's also a sign of the second coming of Christ. And if you read Matthew 24, you actually get information from the Lord about both, about the second coming of Christ, but also about the rapture of the church. And so God gives us this information so that we'd be ready and responsive and welcoming what God wants to do. In Matthew 24, 31, it says, and he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. So we're gonna be talking a little bit about the rapture today and a little bit about the second coming, but mostly about our readiness for the return of Christ. Are we ready for the return of Christ? 
if we're ready for the return of Christ, we're actually going to be living differently, anticipating what God will do at the rapture or the return of Christ. We're anticipating his arrival and therefore living our lives accordingly. If we know that Jesus returned, his rap, the rapture of the church, if we know that that is an eminent thing, like it could happen at any time, then we're going to live differently. And so that's why the challenge in this text today and the challenge of this message is for us to be ready. And that's why um, it's important that we're in the word and in the spirit on a daily basis so that we live ready, so that we're just looking and we're responsive. I don't think I wanna be caught off guard when Jesus calls me home. Like, I don't wanna be thinking about something else like, I don't want to be concerned about other things. I want to be concerned about the kingdom when he's ready to call me home. The rapture is talked about in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 18, and I'll explain to you in a moment why we're talking about the rapture. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So the coming rapture of the church, we're told that we're gonna be caught up with the Lord in the air, that Jesus doesn't actually touch down on the earth. So the difference between the rapture, one of the few differences is that the rapture, Jesus is in the clouds and he's calling his church upward. At the second coming, we're told that he will actually set foot down on, on the Mount of Olives. In Zechariah 14.4 prophesies this, this event. And in Acts 1, after Jesus ascended into heaven, as the disciples were looking up, angels asked the disciples, Acts 1.11, and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Where were they? Where they were standing, they were standing on the Mount of Olives according to the very next verse in that chapter. Another rapture verse, 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 55 says this, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written. And we were just singing about this earlier today. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? So another difference between the second coming and the rapture, the rapture will be instantaneous. It will only impact believers. Believers will be uh, taken up. The second coming, every eye will see. At the rapture, the world's gonna be in chaos because believers are taken out of the earth. The second coming after the tribulation period, every eye will see Jesus and the host of heaven following him, 
putting foot down on the Mount of Olives. So if you hear a trumpet, look up. <laughs> the Lord may be calling you home. The voice of God is mighty like a trumpet. And because that was true, Jesus had John's attention. But I want to live that same way. We see that throughout John's life, that Jesus had John's attention. He said in Revelation 4.1, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. Remember in Revelation chapter 1, verse 19, we are given the outline for our study. Revelation 1.19 says, write therefore the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. And so the things that are seen are all covered in Revelation chapter one, John's vision of the exalted Christ. The things that are, are the messages to the seven churches in chapters two and three. We've been teaching through the messages of the churches in chapters two and three. The things that are to take place after this are where we are right now, the scene of heaven in chapters four and five, then the tribulation period in chapter 16, through 19, then the kingdom of God, chapter 20, and the new heavens and the new earth in chapters 21 and 22. Somewhere, this is why we're talking about this today, somewhere after the letters to the churches, but before the tribulation period, and that picks up in chapter six, the rapture takes place. Now, why do I believe this? And why do I believe the Bible teaches this? Why do I believe in the pre-tribulation rapture of the church. Why? I believe the gospel. Not to say that others who have differing opinions don't believe the gospel, but as I consider the gospel and consider the implications of the gospel, it's an easy conclusion to believe that we will be raptured out of here prior to the seven-year tribulation period. What is the tribulation period? What is the seven-year tribulation period? The seven-year tribulation period is God's judgment being poured out on an unbelieving world. Many will be saved during the tribulation period, including many Jews, but this is a time of God's wrath and judgment poured out on the earth. So why do I believe in the pre-tribulation rapture of the church? Because the scripture is clear that when Jesus died on the cross, he took the wrath and the judgment of God upon himself. He took the judgment and wrath that sinful men deserved and took it upon himself. In exchange, Christ's righteousness was imputed to believers. Christ's righteousness was imputed to those who put their trust in Jesus. God took my sins and if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, God took your sins, he took your sins from you and gave you his righteousness. This is all part of the new covenant in Christ. A covenant matters to God. When God made a covenant with Noah in Genesis chapter six, it meant that he and his family escaped God's judgment of the flood upon the whole world earth. Because Noah had a covenant with God, God made a covenant with Noah. God chose Noah to build an ark and to put he and his family and the animals in it to protect them from the global judgment of God because God repented that he had made man. 
When God made a covenant with Abram in Genesis 15, it meant Abram became Abraham, became the father of the nation of Israel. When God made a covenant with Abram in Genesis 15, it meant that the people of Israel would not be touched by the judgment of plagues that impacted Pharaoh and the Egyptians. God has made a covenant with all who put their trust in Jesus. God's covenant means that God's wrath and God's judgment won't touch you. Just like God's covenant with Noah and with Abram meant God's protection for his people. God's covenant with you means that God's wrath and judgment won't touch you. Why? Because it touched Jesus on your behalf. Jesus said, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because on the cross, he took the penalty for your sins and mine and died taking the wrath and the judgment of God upon himself. He died for my sins and yours. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so my theology about how this whole thing wraps up doesn't allow for me to experience God's wrath and God's judgment because that minimizes in my estimation, the cross and it minimizes what Jesus did. I don't wanna minimize the cross and I don't wanna minimize what Jesus did because I understand the gospel to mean that because Jesus died in my place for my sins, I've been given new life and have had righteousness imputed to me because he's good, not because I am good. When God makes a covenant with you, it means something. We read about the new covenant Every time we take communion in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 talks about a new covenant based on the death of Jesus on the cross. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 26. For I have received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, Paul writes, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant. The new covenant in my blood, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so this is why we take communion once a month. And some believers take it every week. We take communion to be reminded of the finished work of Christ on the cross, to be reminded of the new covenant, to be reminded that Jesus took the full wrath of God, the full penalty of my sin upon himself when he went to the cross and died and then resurrected. So how was this new covenant secured? It was secured through Christ. And what does this new covenant mean for believers? It means that we are well, I'll read what it means. Romans 5, 6 through 8. For a while we were still weak. Here's the gospel. If you want to know what the gospel is, this is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. For a while we were still weak at the right time. Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die, but God but God shows his love for us 
and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood. You know what that word essentially means? Just as if I have never sinned. I have been justified by the blood of Christ and it means the same thing as just if I have never sinned. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus because he is good and not because I am good. And my gospel, understanding of of the gospel of Jesus Christ doesn't allow for me to, because of what Jesus accomplished and took on himself on the cross, doesn't allow me to receive or accept any kind of judgment from the Lord that would bring that kind of heavy condemnation rebuke, Romans 5, 6. But God shows his love for us that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. The new covenant means repentant sinners are saved from, we escape the wrath and judgment of God. Unrepentant sinners are appointed to the wrath and judgment of God. People who repent and put their trust in Jesus and who have their sins pardoned by God escape God's wrath. Jesus makes this promise clear in John chapter 5. In John chapter 5, verse 24, it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. That is good news, and that is the gospel. The seven-year tribulation period is part of the judgment and wrath of God. Repentant believers, John promises, do not come into judgment, but have passed from death to life. Another reason um, I believe that the rapture will happen before the seven-year tribulation period, as Pastor Jeremy pointed out last week, there is a conspicuous absence of the church after Revelation chapter 3. We don't hear about the church again until Revelation chapter 22. So there's many differences between the rapture that event that will happen somewhere in chapters four and five and the second coming. We need to be ready. We need to be ready for the the rapture of the church, be about, about our father's business. And so there are three things that we can do to be ready. And these are three things that are non-negotiable. Number one, we must read the Bible. And so that's why I challenged and asked the question this morning, how are we doing on our daily reading plan? This is not just for fun that we do it. We do it as a spiritual discipline so that we are ready for what God has for us in this earth. When the worship team get up here and lead us on Sunday morning, they're ready, not because they're just naturally gifted and good, although they are naturally gifted and good, they are ready because they've made themselves ready to do what God has called them to do. We can't just passively hold our faith and hold it loosely. We must be active 
as participants in our faith as, the, as, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that might, means we must not only read the Bible, but we must study the Bible. And not just read and study the Bible, but we must believe the Bible. If we don't read and study and believe the Bible, we will not be ready. You can't go through your life as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ and not eat and feed on the word of God, reading and studying and choosing to believe the word of God. If we don't do these three things, we will be sucked into the world's system, world's way of believing, world's way of thinking, and we will not be ready because we cannot be ready unless we're doing these things and doing these things on the regular. So reading the Bible and like John Choosing to be in the spirit, making that decision on the regular, because the natural thing for us is to get into the flesh and want to please the desires of the flesh. The spiritual thing for us to do is to be in the spirit. And so that means, Lord, I repent. I don't want to be in the flesh. I want to be in the spirit. I want to be ready, Lord. And so I'm going to open up your word. I'm going to read. I'm going to study. I'm going to believe your word. And so maybe you're here today and you're like, I don't know how to read. I don't know how to study. I don't know how to believe. I don't, I don't know how. Just begin to read the word. You don't even, listen, you don't even need to fully understand everything that you're reading. I'll be honest with you. As I've been reading Job, I'm like, I'm having a hard time tracking with Job and what God is doing in Job's life. I'm having a hard time tracking with it. So I'll read it and then I'll reread it because I'm like, Lord, I don't want to just skim over what God is doing in Job's life. I want to learn from Job's experience because Job has something to teach us from his experience. And so God, would you teach me? So every time I open up the word, I've done this for decades now, I just say, Lord, would you teach me through your word? Would you just show me something in your word? Would you help me to understand your word? Maybe part of your preparation and understanding the word is getting some really good Bible study tools. Now, there are plenty of Bible study tools that I have on my shelf, commentaries that have been written by people that I don't fully agree with, but they have some things about their understanding from the scripture that help me to glean and to understand more fully who God is. And so, Figure out some good, and I can help you with that, or the staff can help you with that, but find some really good Bible study tools, even if it's a good Bible study Bible, uh, a study Bible that you can open up and just reference um, so that you can grow in your ability to know God and then just choose to believe. The world will tell you to believe what they believe, but God wants you to believe what is written in the scripture. And so we have to decide by faith, Lord, I believe that. I don't even fully understand how it plays out. I don't fully understand why it is the way that it is, Lord, but I'm choosing by faith to believe that you wrote it and that it's for me to believe. And so read it on the daily. Listen, we wrestle against, not against flesh and blood enemies, but against spiritual powers of darkness in the unseen world. We are in a spiritual battle, and I've said this before, but there's a reason your flesh and my flesh resists the reading of the Bible. The reason your flesh and my flesh resists the reading of the Bible because it's the very best possible thing for you spiritually. It's the very best possible thing that you can consume in your life that will help you as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, don't substitute it for something less. Um, there are plenty of things like 
you know, where you can read a verse or two on a calendar and that sort of thing. That's not enough. I'll just tell you, a verse or two on your daily calendar is not enough Bible reading for you to be ready and to stand firm as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not enough. You will be forever childlike, childish, I'll say this. You'll be forever childish in your ability to understand God if this is the total content of your intake of the word of God. You must be a student and choose to be a student of the word. If you refuse, you will not be ready. If you refuse to read and to study and to believe, you won't be ready for what God wants to do in your life. And I think we're here at church on a Sunday morning when we can be a thousand other places. I think we're here because we wanna be ready. I'm just telling you, this is how you get ready. And there's no shortcuts. You'll be doing this until God calls you home. You'll be getting up every day and you'll choose or not, because it's totally up to you. You'll choose or not to open up the word of God and allow the Lord to speak to you. This is the primary way in which God speaks to you. It's the, the most bulletproof way that God speaks to you. And if God, if you sense the Lord is speaking to you in another way that contradicts the word of God, then you're not hearing from God. The Bible is God's way that he will communicate to you. So if you want to know God's will for your life, you cannot get God's will for your life apart from the Bible. So there's actually nothing if you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ that should keep you from making it your daily commitment to read the Bible. You will have greater joy. I'm just thinking about my, I'm taking a personal inventory of my own life uh, the fruit of reading the Bible, you'll have greater joy. What else? Direction. Peace. Understanding. Knowledge. Love. Why love? Where's, where, who said love? Why love? God is love. And so you see through the pages of Scripture how God is love. Old Testament, New Testament, God is love. Love And so we learn something about the character of God and the nature of God. We understand that in all of our frailties and makes mistakes and failures that God has never stopped loving me. He's never stopped loving you. And so with that information, with that revelation, I can love others more effectively. What's another, other things that the benefit of reading the Bible on the regular? Affirmation, Affirmation of what? Of who we are. Okay. So we're reminded of who we are in Christ. Now let's do the, uh, the opposite of this. Uh, what happens when we refuse to open up the word on the daily in our lives? What are we susceptible to? The attack of the enemy. The attack of the enemy. Which is constant. Which is constant. And we'll have absolutely no understanding of even what's happening to us. Yeah. Because we haven't read... Boom. What else? Doubting. Doubt. Did you say gout or doubt? <laughs> I know you said doubt, but we needed a break there. So doubt. Where, where does doubt creep in when you don't have the truth of God's word in your heart and mind? Where does it creep in? Everywhere. So you begin to doubt God's faithfulness because we're not reading about God's faithfulness on literally every page of scripture. And so doubt creeps in and we begin to believe the doubt over the truth. What else? Confusion. 
Bad attitude, right? My attitude is better when I'm reading the Bible. It goes without saying. My wife will tell you that. <laughs> Sounds like we have something in common. <laughs> what else? Confusion. confusion. Who said confusion? Confusion. It's absolutely true. God, God, God is not the author of confusion. So if God is not the author of confusion, then who is the author of confusion? The enemy of your soul. Absolutely. So you will be confused as a person who's trying to follow Jesus. If you do not bring the word of God into your understanding, into your heart and mind, what else? Drift. Yeah, where do you drift? Into the, world. Into the world. Becoming more like the world, less like Jesus. We, we just blend in with the world. Everything's gray. What else? I want to hear first from Levi. What, what is it, Levi? Uh, I mean, Gene kind of took, I was thinking worldly thinking. Okay, worldly thinking, yeah. right? Because there's a thousand things that are wanting to inform our understanding. Social media, uh, whatever it may be, mostly social media. That's where a lot of people are getting their news and just their, their information. So social media will dictate to us. And so that's just world, it's just worldly, worldly. And so if there's no ever opportunity for us to make a, a, a healthy download into our mind, we're going we're to become just like the world. One second. Vying for attention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God told us to be ready at all times okay. to be able to minister and tell the gospel and the truth. Yeah. If we're not in the word, we don't know it. No, we're you don't. Ready. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If we're not in the word, I don't even want to. Well, what? Because what are we saying? Yeah, right, 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 right. What else? What else goes down the drain spiritually when we're not in the word? Oh, without the word, we're in darkness. Yeah. Yeah. Values? Yeah. Priority, priority is a great word. Profanity. profanity, we're prone to profanity when we're not in the word. Is that what you mean? Yeah, anybody else prone to profanity when they're not in the word? I am. Holy cow, it's the easiest thing in the world, <laughs> right? But when, the, when you're controlled by the Holy Spirit and filled with the word of God, that's the last thing you want coming out of you. But when your flesh is ruling the roost, man, that's profanity is just easy. Job. What I found in Job was Job knew who God was. Yeah. And if he didn't have known who God was, he would never have survived. That's exactly right. He knew who God was, and he knew who he was in God. Yeah, yeah. And you need to know those two things. Here's my Bible reading plan. I'm all checked off through day 14. Anybody else with me? <laughs> and it's a Sunday. All right. I'm going to leave that in my spot here. But I was reading in Job earlier this week, or maybe it was last, it was last week on Thursday. And um, so Job just is getting hammered, tested. He's, he's losing everything. This is Job's response in Job chapter one, verse 20. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshiped. That was his response to the testing 
in his life. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Job knows something about God that is lost on me. If what happened to Job happened to me, I'm not sure this would be my response. I might get there eventually, but there's something that Job understands about his creator and about his God that allows him to be in a place of worship in spite of the circumstances, in spite of the circumstances. Sometimes we come in here and we're not worshiping because we're distracted by the circumstances of our life. And we're on some level, we're irritated with God, angry with God, and we're not gonna worship. We're not gonna lift up holy hands and worship our God because there's something in our craw about God. Listen, Job knew something about God that I wanna know. Job knew something about God that each of us need to know. And the result and the fruit of that understanding will be worship no matter what happens. Naked I came into this world and naked I will go. The Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So Job's circumstances didn't change his outlook on life or his perspective about who God is. Job's outlook stayed the same because he understood something about the character of God through the word of God and through walking in the spirit as a man of God. Man, we need to get that kind of faith in us. We need to get a hold of that kind of reality, that kind of walk with Jesus in us so that no matter what happens, we are worshiping. So we come in here and part of being ready is, man, we get up on Sunday morning and every morning and we're just getting our hearts right with the Lord. Say, man, I'm going to church. Or maybe, I, Lord, I'm, going, I'm getting ready to go to work. I want to be ready. And so God, I'm gonna open up your word. I'm gonna make my heart available. You're standing at the door of my heart. I'm letting you in. You're in. You get to be a part of everything. I'm not keeping you out of anything. You're in, Lord. You're my God. You're my king. You're my leader. You're it. I got nothing without you. So you just, you just declare that out of the gate and you, you welcome him in. You open up the word and you just get into the word and just allow the Lord to teach you. I tell you what, all of the fruit of that stuff that we've been talking about, the, the peace that will have, the, the strength that you'll have, the joy that you'll have, all of that stuff will come. If you're lacking all of those things, it's because there's something out of whack in your walk with the Lord. There's something out of whack with your understanding about who God is. He is God. And you are not. He is God and I am not. And so I need to let him be God in my life. And if we do that, then like Job, we'll be able to weather the storms and worship Jesus. We'll weather the storm and, and keep our eyes on Jesus. We'll weather the storm and not give up, not grow faint and want to quit. We'll keep keeping on until Jesus gets us out of here. So with that, let's go ahead and stand and we're gonna worship. And Lord, we just, we, we wanna stand and as we're gonna sing this last song, man, we wanna worship you because you're worthy. Um, not because we understand you, because we don't always understand. In fact, I, I seldom understand what's going on, Lord. But I know that you know. 
And my life is in your hands anyway. And none of it matters without you. So I give my life to you, Lord, and I will choose to worship. I will choose to ready my life by being a man of, in the spirit and of the word. So Lord, help me. Help us, we pray. We're in this together. Bless us as we move forward with the full weight of our faith in you. In Jesus' name, amen.